Welcome to Emerge Dynamics. Emerge Dynamics. The podcast for those who manage and invest in middle market private companies across the globe. globe. We're telling the stories of the unsung champions who take enormous risks every day to weave the fabric of our societies. Those who collectively, from the multi-trillion dollar largest market on the planet, we're diving into the dynamics of what makes some of them emerge from their peers and create incredible returns and impact on their communities. This is Emerge Dynamics. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Emerge Dynamics podcast. David here. And this is Eric. And we're excited to continue our series on understanding what your business might be worth and how to make it better. Better. Yes. We just finished up in the last episode talking about our deep dive, right? Talking about some drivers. We talked about Switzerland structure and hub and spoke. Yes. And today we're going to go on to some more of them. There's so much to say about each of these. Actually, in fact, I wanted to say so much more about hub and spoke (laughs) in the last episode. So if I could, Eric, just give a couple of additional tidbits on hub and spoke and then let's jump right in. So we talked about what hub and spoke was in the last episode. So if you haven't listened to that, please go listen to it. You'll understand a lot more what I'm getting ready to say. But here's a couple more things to consider. If you've identified, maybe I do have a hub and spoke problem, or you want to understand if I do have a hub and spoke problem, there's an exercise you can do to really help you organize your day a lot better and understand where you are. And that is, am I working in my business or am I on on my business? Look at the activities that you do during your day and list them all out in a typical day. If you're having trouble thinking about what these activities are, a good way to do it too, is to look at your inbox for the last (laughs) few days and see what's in there, right? And if the majority of your activities are things that don't leverage your skills to their furthest extent, or could be done by someone else Mm -hmm. just as easily, that maybe that's not the best use of your time, then you're probably working in your business more than on your business. Mm -hmm. You probably have a hub and spoke problem and you're definitely not maximizing your value. Right. Right. If the majority of your communication and your time and your day is spent on building processes, inspiring your team, helping them be better, you're probably working on your business. You're probably on the right track at this point. Right. And you can actually there's an exercise. Actually, John Warlow has an exercise called Rainmaker's Dilemma. And you Mm -hmm. can actually go through and map out the number of hours that you spend in each day on each activity and you should actually make a map and say, wow, if I'm spending 30 out of 40, most entrepreneurs aren't working 40, let's say 50, 40 out of 50 hours of my week doing things I shouldn't be doing or others could do, let's switch that. How can I carve out 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week working on my business? Yes. So that's one thing I wanted to leave folks with. Another is if you're on the buy side, you're buying a business and you're looking at how do I price, what do I pay for a business and you see the owner of the business who has got a serious hub and spoke problem, you really want to think about how risky is this and how much do I want to pay for this business? And you may think to yourself, oh, it's no problem. This person's going to come along for the business and they'll keep working. And so they'll keep making all the value they made before. That might work out. But I can tell you from experience, I'm sure Eric, you've seen this too. When you buy someone's business and they suddenly have a million dollars in their bank account, 
they may, with complete integrity, stare you in the face and say, I'm going to keep working just the same as I always have been because I love this business. And they may be completely honest with you. There's no nefarious intention. The day after closing, though, when there's a million dollars in their bank account, they will see the world a lot differently than they did before. Yeah. And they may start acting differently. Yeah. And then often it happens that way. Yeah. So it's, I think as a buyer, yeah. just make sure yeah. you really understand what you're getting into. Or that life change or life circumstance comes up and now all of a sudden they have more options where in the past they may have felt like I've got to continue to keep this other thing going. They now say, you know, maybe it's best that I leave this to somebody else. And, and, and it, so it's, again, intention, well-intentioned, whatever circumstances change. And now all of a sudden there's more options to that person. And, and they may also just be unemployable. Yeah. They haven't worked for anyone maybe ever or for several years, and they, they're not going to fit well inside of someone else's system. Yeah. So make sure you're buying a business, not a person. That's right. right. That's, that's key. That's All right, so let's go into our drivers for today. We talked about, Eric, maybe today we'll go into recurring revenue and monopoly control. All right. Yeah. Right? These are two things that I think really hit upon the risk that you talked about a couple of episodes ago. How risky is this business? So let's talk about recurring revenue. Okay. That, that one is, is really um, kind of tied back to ultimately the financial performance in the business and also uh, the growth rate in the business. It's tied more to the tangible financial aspects of the business. But when we speak about recurring revenue, we're, we're talking about what is the likelihood that these cash flows, these, these financial performance of this company is likely to continue on? Well, the more that we have a recurring revenue model, and there's a number of recurring revenue models that are, that are out there. In fact, plenty of folks think, ah, I, don't have, I, don't, I can't really have a recurring revenue model. They really kind of dig deeper into that and look at the different types of models that might be out there. They might say, well, hold on a second. There's one that I could apply in, in, in my business. But it's really about how likely are these revenues to continue to occur. And the more that they're likely to continue to occur, then the more likelihood that you're also going to be able to grow those revenues because you got a good base that's, uh, that's regularly, constantly uh, turnover in your company. And by turnover, I mean, you know, revenues, uh, right. recurring revenues in, in your company. That's what we talk about when we talk about recurring revenue. Some thoughts from you, Dave. I think of the example of you know, a company that has almost perfect recurring revenue would be Netflix. Yeah. Right. Their entire business model is subscription. Yeah. Right. It's almost one of the one of the best forms of recurring revenue you could get. I guess you could have everyone locked in the multi-year contracts. That would be even better than that. There could be some challenges with that as well. But that's a good example. I think that everyone, almost everyone in the country at least knows about Netflix. You may like or not like Netflix, but you probably heard of it and can understand their business model. It's very much recurring revenue. And because of it, Netflix gets a very generous valuation. Now, I know recently they've had some challenges, yeah, challenges things up right. and down, but in general, their valuation stays way higher than another business with the same EBITDA as them that would not have recurring revenue. Right. And in that case, that recurring revenue, that subscription revenue is built where you've probably already given you a credit card or a bank account. Uh, there's an automatic once a month, there's an automatic charge. And 
it's almost like, oh, oh man, I gotta, I gotta remember if I don't want that, I got, I gotta go unsubscribe, if you will. Right. That is the good type of recurring revenue subscription model. So we see this very often in. It's easy to understand how this would work in software as a service type things, mm-hmm. subscription services like Netflix. It's very easy for people to see how that might work and be valuable. But I think what a lot of people would say is that is not my business. There's no way I can do this. This doesn't apply to me. I'm a contractor. I'm a auto repair shop, a boat repair shop or something that I, I can't do that. So I would say it's true. It would be difficult for an auto repair shop to suddenly switch to the same amount of recurring revenue that Netflix has. But I think every business can add some element of recurring revenue. Right. Not only will this increase your valuation when you go to sell in a big way, but if you think about just your day-to-day life, where you don't have to go re-win all of your business every day, mm-hmm. you're going to have more time with your family. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're going to be able to earn the same amount of revenue with less work. Right. Because it's already set up. It's already programmed to come back in. So here's an example that, to me, helps relate the typical Main Street business to recurring revenue, because I know there's a disconnect for some people. I'm not Netflix. It's another example, John Warlow. This is a true story that he tells about some florists. And there are these guys who had a floral business, and it's a really tough business. The traditional florist model is very tough and almost no, no recurring revenue. It's incredibly seasonal. You've got Valentine's Day and Mother's Day and things like that, where you've got great sales. And the rest of the year, it's just kind of hit or miss. When a birthday or anniversary is coming, somebody scrambles, you'll get something. You don't know when it's coming. Or when. And so it's really difficult to stock in your inventory in the floral business. It's incredibly perishable, right? So one stat I've heard is that some large percent of the floral business industry's inventory just gets thrown away. Mm. It's very inefficient. It's wasteful because they always have the stock to levels and they don't know what's coming. Right. And so, and they've got to go rewin this business. Customers are random. So these guys said, this isn't working. We don't want to spend our whole <laughs> lives in this uncertain model where we just can't win. We're, we're barely making it here. We want a better way to do it. And so thinking about recurring revenue, they transformed their whole model to say, they started approaching, I think it was hotels, hotels yeah, and yeah. maybe fitness centers and saying, let us be your florist. You want live, fresh flowers in your lobby and your greeting areas. That's going to enhance your experience for your customers. Let us do that. We'll make sure you always have fresh flowers. Yeah. And so by doing that, they were able to sign recurring revenue agreements with their customers where the hotel said, great, make sure my flowers are fresh all the time. And so they knew exactly how much inventory they had to order. They always knew next month exactly how much revenue they were going to have because they knew they were going to this hotel and that hotel and this fitness center and making the rounds, checking to see what needed to be replaced and doing it. So suddenly their revenue was much smoother. They could count on it. And I'm trying to remember all the details of the story, but I do believe those guys did end up selling and selling for a multiple saliently higher (laughs) than almost any other florist ever gets. So there's an example of a main street business realizing that they're transforming their model a bit and then not only having a better life all the way until they sold, but then when they did sell, reaping an incredibly higher reward. Yeah. What was that? That was, that was recurring, recurring revenue. revenue. Yeah. The, the next item that we want to talk about that shifts gears to it is, is monopoly control. Mm-hmm. 
This is one of your favorite <laughs> topics uh, it, that you speak is. of uh, with, with, with a lot of folks all and, the time. And so let's talk about first what, what in the world that is. Because for someone who isn't familiar with economics or, you know, economics courses, you might hear Monopoly control and just think of there's a board game called Monopoly and there's a guy with a top hat and a mustache, <laughs> right? And so what we think about here is if we go back to like kind of academic economics terms, the term Monopoly is we most of us know is if you if you're the only provider in your market, you would be considered a monopoly. But it's not like you're monopoly or you're not. There's different levels of monopoly control all along the way. And the more that we have just a compelling differentiated value proposition to our customers, the more customers view us as the only ones from which they can get this incredibly valuable product or service. Right. And they're willing to pay for it. Right. So we talked about this. If you go back, I don't know how many episodes ago it was, our strategy episode, that's what this is all about. Yes. Right. Yes. So I think in monopoly control is really thinking about answering the question when people say, and I like to ask people, why do your customers buy from you? And unfortunately, very often I get deer in headlights looks. I get, I'm not really sure. I get, we've been in business for 30 years. All these things that are probably not the reason customers are buying from you. So to really be able to articulate why, if you're in business, there is a reason they're buying from you because yeah, they're, yeah. they're doing it, <laughs> but understanding why. And if the reason is I'm one penny less than my competitor, you don't have any monopoly control, yeah. right? If the reason is, and I, I've had business owners like look me in the face, straight face and just say, oh, well, actually, you know, our competitors are pretty good too. We're all pretty good. They're good. We're good. And, you know, I think sometimes they stop here because we got a okay location. It's more convenient to stop here than the next place. Yeah. And sometimes we get the sale and sometimes they get the sale. Like, yeah. I can't believe that you're going to spend your whole career living in that world, right? So <laughs> what, what do you, what you, you love to refer to as commodity hell? Commodity hell is where you live. <laughs> yes, yes, where you're going to eke out a little bit of money. And so the more we can understand what is the unique value, either, either I've got a better mousetrap, like I actually have a product that's better, or if you think about for a lot of products, it's, it's the marketing, it's the branding, it's the experience, experience. that I'm delivering, right? So even if I think, well, I sell this commodity and they sell that commodity, if we just say, throw up our hands and say, well, we sell commodities, what could we do? We're completely missing an opportunity. And I assure you, one of your competitors will not miss that opportunity. They'll figure it out eventually and think, customers don't ever buy a product. They don't ever buy a commodity. They buy an experience, experience, right? Yeah. They buy something that makes them feel something. Mm -hmm. And so to the extent that we can layer on a service that helps them understand or do better or something, some value add to our product, and we can understand how to market that better to create a, a brand around that, that's to the extent we get monopoly control, to the extent we get better margins in our pricing. To that extent, buyers will pay more. Not only will they pay more, but going back to what we just the topic we just got off, uh, the driver being recurring revenue, more likelihood that you will be able to find a model of recurring revenue right. in that situation because that experience is so strong with those customers. Absolutely. And, you know, just to, just to finish this one off, there's so much more to say. It's so important. If you, if you think you're in commodity hell, go listen to our strategy episode where we dive into this for 30 minutes much deeper. But think too, just to give another example, help people understand, if you go to your grocery store, you're going to see all sorts of things that, for the most part, 
for most consumers, they're almost the same. Wine would be an example. Right? For I know there are consumers who have very distinguished wine tastes and can tell one wine from the next. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess 90% of wine drinkers don't have they, – their palate is it's good wine or it's bad wine. And that's all they know. I got my two or three go-tos. You know? Right. <laughs> and, and there's all these labels, right? And what are, they, what are they doing? What are these wineries doing? They're trying to differentiate their wine that most consumers can't distinguish that much difference between from the next wine. Yeah. Right, they're creating an experience with that label. You'll see in any commercial firm like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, right? They're not that different. I know there's diehard fans who will, you know, go crazy saying no, Coke's better than Pepsi or whatnot. But you look at their advertising; they're trying to create an experience of refreshment, enjoyment, how how great your life will be when you're drinking Coca-Cola, right? Coca-Cola is a genius marketing company. You may or may not like them. You may or not like Coca-Cola, but you have to admit they're pretty good at marketing, right? Yeah. And they're pretty good at taking a product that's not all that different from the com- competition and making it seem, not in a fraudulent way, but, but they're, what they're selling you is an experience. They're selling you a feeling. Yeah. And so for that, people will pay. Let's make sure we do that with our businesses because it's going to definitely reflect into lower risk, higher value. Exactly. All right. That's enough on Hub and Spoke. No, what did we just say? Monopoly control. Monopoly control and and, uh, and recurring revenue. And more to come. Yeah. Off to work. Right.